The conference had a lot of parts to it that I'm not going to share with you this morning. But the seven main sessions were all about the doctrine, the teaching on creation. It's theological significance and implications. The doctrine of creation, theological significance, and implications. And it was a really, really good conference. The teaching was rich and expert and excellent and careful and thoughtful and coherent. It was amazing how it all fit together. I was really glad that I got to participate, and I wish that you all could take it all in as well. So I thought, what if I give them a few of the highlights of things that I learned or was struck by on Sunday morning? So that's what we're going to do today. Normally, when Christians start talking about the doctrine of creation, the discussion almost inevitably goes over to the questions of when and how, right? When was the world created and how was the world created? When were humans created and how were humans created? How old is the earth? How old is humanity? Questions like that. And those are good questions that must be wrestled with, especially in light of the current somewhat contentious consensus of modern science on those questions. There is a tension there. We all feel it. But that's not what this conference was about. Those questions were there and they were running in the background, but they weren't in the foreground of the conference. Just one of the seven talks even got into it. Trinity, our school, has been studying the doctrine of creation from multiple angles through multiple disciplines as part of a three-year project funded by a $3.4 million Templeton grant. And this conference was a part of the fruit of that project. The point of our conference was theological the theological significance and theological implications, practical, for the doctrine of creation. So the chief questions were more like, why? And who? And so what? Now those are tied to the when and the how questions, of course. But they are more fundamental and more meaningful for our everyday lives. As I said, there were seven main talks about the Creator and His creation, but don't worry, I don't have seven points for this morning. I want to give you the whole thing in just three big ideas. Here's number one. God made all things good. Are you with me in Genesis chapter 1? Let's look at chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first sentence of the Bible, the Holy Bible. And what a sentence it is. Our statement of faith in the free church starts here too. In Article 1 it says, We believe in one God, Creator of all things. When Moses says the heavens and the earth, that's what's called a merism. Any English scholars in here know what a merism is? A merism is when you give two contrasting things and you mean those two things and everything in between. Okay, so day and night. That means all the time, right? Or from A to Z. That means the whole alphabet, right? Or from soup to nuts, right? What that means in heaven and earth, what this means is that God made heaven and earth and everything that's in between the two, which is what? Everything, right? 
It's all things. God made all things. If it's a thing and it isn't God, it was made by God. Think about that. If it's a thing and it isn't God, it was made by God. That's what we spent our whole week thinking about. Being a creation of God. Being in the creation of God. Do you think of yourself as a part of creation? Do you think about creation at all? And God didn't just make all of creation, but He made all of it good. That's the refrain of the song in Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to read all of chapter 1 to you this morning, but again and again it says, God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. There's like a, it just pulses through the chapter when you're reading it. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. And then when he made everything, including us, it says, God saw all that he had made and it was what? Very good. Now this is something that I needed to hear this week. I needed to be reminded of how good creation is, how pleasing it is, how right, how precious, how wonderful, how well-designed, how good creation is. The Hebrew word for good is tov. Go ahead and say it. You know you want to. Tov. As in mazel tov, right? Tov. 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 That's what's pulsing through Genesis 1. I needed to be reminded of Tov because the world has been corrupted by sin. This world is broken. All things are not as they should be. I don't have to convince you of that. All you have to do is watch the news or go to a hospital or a funeral. But that comes in in Genesis chapter 3. See, that's not how the way things were at the beginning. That's not how things were designed to be. That's not how things were at the the beginning. God made all things tov. Now, what are the implications of that? Well, we could spend the whole morning just on that. But here's one. God deserves all of our worship for making all of the things, including us. Worship. What kind of a God can make everything? I talk to a lot of hunters who worship God when they're in nature. They go out there in the woods and they say, how can anyone doubt that there's a God when they see that? That's exactly right. You know my favorite place on God's green earth, right? Cook Forest State Park. The Clarion River. I can see the glory of God and what He's made. Trees, ferns, rivers, stones, wildlife, hills, trails, beauty. Anybody see the stars last night? I went out to fill the fire and I looked up. And there was almost no light pollution, right? There's no clouds. And there was just the Milky Way and all these dots everywhere. It was glorious. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Now get this. The world needs God, but God does not need the world. The theological or philosophical word for that is contingent. Right, Abe? Contingent. The world is contingent 
But God is not contingent. He is ase. He is from Himself. The world depends on God, but God does not depend on the world. Even if there was no world, there would still be a God. But if there was no God, there would be no world. God made all things good, and that means He deserves all of our worship. That means giving thanks for all of our gifts. When we pray before, when you go to pray for Sunday lunch today, thank God for the goodness of His creation, for this meal put in front of you. But just, we should be giving thanks to God just that we exist at all. That there's anything instead of nothing. Because we wouldn't if it wasn't for Him. And don't forget, we were made by God through Jesus. John picks this up in in his gospel, doesn't he? In the beginning, what does John say? Was the Word, right? And we know who that is. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's Genesis 1. He's calling you back to Genesis 1. And then he says, John 1, 3, Through Him, Jesus, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So everything that was made was made through Jesus. Paul picks that up in Colossians 1. He says, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All the invisible things were made by Him too. We just sang about angels. They're made by Him too. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. I guess maybe He deserves our worship. If Jesus weren't holding us all together, we would all fly apart. God made all things good. Metal. He looked up. He said metal, and my blacksmith son looks at me. Those stars, hot and cold, moist, fire, nuclear fission, atomic particles, brain cells, mountains, weather, blood vessels, continents, snow, mice, microbes, blue whales, tomatoes, Eggs, galaxies, moons, meteors, tidal waves, northern lights, dirt, milk, the Big Dipper, softness, scratchiness, lukewarmness, humanity, grasshoppers, light waves, light waves, I don't know what, waves too if those exist, E equals MC squared, comes from his mind. Gorillas, giraffes, deserts, palm trees, Mexican jumping beans, caves, windstorms, ponds, fresh air, falling leaves, corn cobs, the Milky Way, combustion, eyelashes, uranium, the smell of skunks, the color purple, the fabric of reality. God made all things good. Number two, God made all of us in His image. Drop your eyes down to verses 26 through 28 of Genesis 1. 
It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God made all of humanity in His image. Last year, we learned the Latin phrase for that. Do you remember it? Imago Dei. Imago Dei. The image of God. We were made special. Special order. The capstone of creation. And we were made to image God in the world God made. There are so many implications for that concept. One is just the sanctity of human life, right? What the folks from the PRC are always talking about, you matter to God. Human life is sacred. We can't trash humans. We aren't allowed to just treat humans like we treat the trash, especially the most vulnerable. We've seen in our nation just recently an abhorrent disdain for human life. Made in the image of God. One of the speakers, Paige Cunningham, is the director of Trinity Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. And that's one of the things she talked about. Humans have an intrinsic dignity because we're stamped with the very likeness of God. And of course, that goes for humans of all races, right? This is Black History Month. And I've been doing a lot of reading about the disgraceful ways that African Americans have been treated over the last 400 years on this continent. How different the story could have been if they had been treated as the image bearers they are. We tend to love and respect and care for those people who look the most like us. But God says that fundamentally, all humans look, in some way, like Him. That's more basic, and that should govern how we treat each other. Including how we talk to each other. And talk about one another. Like on social media. Remember, when you say something on social media about someone else, even if that someone is a politician or a celebrity or your opponent or your enemy, they are first and foremost made in the image of God. James says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. That's for all of us whether you're trashing President Trump or Nancy Pelosi. Let this guide you when you're talking, when you're typing on your phone. God made all of us in His image, both male and female. Both male and female. Did you catch that in verse 27? So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. One of the talks at this conference was about human sexuality. The humans come in two distinct sexes, male and female. And that is good. That is tov. And we thought about the implications of that. Marriage, for example. 
God has designed marriage to be a covenantal relationship between one man and one woman. And sexual relations are to be exclusively practiced within that covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. That's tov. That's how we're designed. Sadly, our world is not tov in so many ways. On this, for example, on this side of Genesis 3, we see gender dysphoria, where a person can feel greatly distressed about their biological sex and feel a mismatch between their biological sex and their own mental gender identity. On this side of Genesis 3, we see same-sex attraction, where a person is drawn romantically and sexually to people of their own sex instead of to the other sex. On this side of Genesis 3, we all need to have great compassion for people who are experiencing those things. Because on this side of Genesis 3, we are all sexually broken, just in different ways. We all feel the effects of this fall. Now, we can't celebrate that sexual brokenness, but we can have all kinds of compassion for others and walk alongside them and by God's grace, point them towards God's good design. Tov. The speaker about this said something really profound. It really struck me. He pointed to the sexuality of Jesus, who was male and is still male today. And he said that Jesus was fully human and fully sexual as a man, but not fallen in any way. Fully human, fully sexual, and yet Jesus never did a sexual act. He didn't have to have sex to be fully human or to be fully actualized or even fully male. Think about the implications of that. Our culture doesn't get that. Not at all, right? Our culture thinks that having sex is where life is. But as good as sex is, and it was designed by God, it's really good. It isn't that important. It's not where life is. Just look at Jesus. That recalibrates singleness, doesn't it? That recalibrates celibacy. It recalibrates our understanding of sexuality. You can, think, you can see how there was much to think about this week. God made all of us in His image, and when He did that, He gave us work to do, didn't He? There was a whole message on our responsibility to care for the creation that He gave us. So what Jared does over there in the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, what we all should do as we care for this world that God has given us dominion over. He didn't give us this world to run it into the ground. He gave it to us to take care of and to keep it going for future generations. Don't let the politically far left with their Green New Deal be the only people talking about caring for this world. God told us right here that we are to be the benevolent rulers, the protectors, the cultivators, the carers for this creation. We're stewards of it. And we will be held accountable for what we did with it. There was a whole message at this conference on the doctrine of creation and human work. 
Do you remember a few years ago I got all fired up by a teacher who said that we pastors don't do enough to prepare our people to be disciples of Jesus in the workplace? And I did a whole sermon series on working for the Lord. Remember that? Well, the same guy did this talk at that conference, and he got me fired up again. And he gave me another great idea for how to see our work as worship and to highlight your work for the Lord on Sunday mornings. So starting today, we're going to have regular interviews and prayer times on Sundays that we're going to call Jesus at Work. I want to do the first one right now. I've asked, I called Lori Veris. Lori, would you come on up? I called Lori Veris last night and, and I asked her if she would serve as the guinea pig for this. I've got three questions that the guy taught us to give at this conference that I'm going to be asking numbers of you over the coming months in church. Just a quick, brief interview about what work is like for you and how we can be praying for you. So Lori, thank you for being the guinea pig. You've got a microphone. What will you be doing this week at work? Well, it was kind of funny because when Pastor called last night, I said, can I say I darned if I know? (laughs) Um, Work's just different sometimes, I think, day to day. And this year I have an opportunity to be an administrative fellow at Penn State, which is very different from my normal work, which is in career services where I spent over 15 years. So this week at work, um, I'm actually working on a pretty big project. Uh, We're working with an external firm who's looking at all of communications and marketing across the university. And um, my task as our fellow this year, um, I've actually been blessed with the opportunity to project manage that from the Penn State side. So I have a lot of logistics and management of this project to sort of be doing with that external firm. So tomorrow I'll be meeting with them and throughout the week. So that's a big part of what's happening right now in addition to working with my my mentor and some other senior leaders at the university. The second question is what are joys and challenges in your work right now? When I thought about this, when the joys and challenges are kind of the same right now. I think for me, leaving my uh, former work for a year, the joy of that was it was exciting, and it's exciting for me to do something new and different. Uh, I think that's also a challenge, though. I think that being somewhere and immersed in something totally different from what I'm used to doing is something that's been uh, a challenge. It's stretching me in a lot of ways, and I, I'm glad for that, and it's been a blessing. It's also very, it's a little scary. Um, so for me, I, I'm excited by the change and, and the challenge of that. Um, I think what comes after this opportunity is also a little bit of a challenge because that's a bit of an unknown, and I'm probably not the best with the unknown sometimes. So, mm-hmm. How can we be praying for you? As a church, as you are living as a disciple, working for the Lord, at Penn State, how can we be praying for you? I think um, specifically, I think this week and through this project, just that I would do a good job and that he would lead and guide me through that process and that others would maybe see uh, his leading through that process, even if they don't necessarily realize it at first, that maybe there will be not just an impact on the university, but on other people that I encounter for him. All right. Well, let's pray for that right now before we move on with our message. Father, thank you for Lori and for her work, her ministry, her work for you at Penn State. Thank you for this fellowship that you've given her this year and this this responsibility of being the project manager for this great big project that's happening university-wide. We pray, Father, for that project as it gets underway. We pray for wisdom for her, that you would guide her steps, give her direction, that you would strengthen her, that she'd make wise choices. Lord, she wants to be used by you 
as your disciple in this work. And so we pray that you would do that, that people would maybe be talking with her on the side, questions about how do you do all this? How do you balance all this? How do you, I, I understand you're a Christian. What's that all about? And that she'd, she'd use opportunities to, to share you with others. Lord, we pray for blessing on her work and for encouragement and strength, and thank you for her. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lori. We were created for work. Created for work. And it's not just our work that we do for compensation, right? We learned a few years ago, it's, it's our work that is making a contribution. So some of you who are going to be interviewed are stay-at-home moms, s- students, just going to school, right? And what you're doing in work in the, in, 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 we're going to be talking about from time to, as we go on. Work as our worship. Serving the Lord as His image-bearing creation in His creation. One more point this morning, and then we'll go. And by the way, we're going to do prayer corners again this morning. I think we've got, um, we've got Dobashes and Miss Carlson, right? Um, they would love to pray with you about your work. You don't, you don't have to have some major problem, some heaviness, to just come up and ask for prayer for, this is what I've got in front of me this week, and I would love for God's blessing. Would you pray with me on that? Because God cares about your work. God made all of us in His image, and He put us to work. Number three, God will make all things new. The conference wrapped up with a message from my friend Mike Whitmer on the doctrine of creation and human destiny. Not just human dignity, but human destiny. And what Mike said was so encouraging because he said that the creation is going to be restored to what it was supposed to be. Tov. And even better. We're not just going to go to heaven someday. Sometimes we talk about going to heaven, right? As if that was where we're going to end up. That's not where we're going to end up. We're going to end up on the, on the new earth. The new, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Turn to the last page of your Bible. We've, we've been on the first page of your Bible. Turn to the very end of your Bible, uh, or at least maybe not the last page, but Revelation chapter 21. Just th- listen to the first five verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. That was the goal all along, wasn't it? From the garden where the Lord walked with them in the cool of the, the, the evening. And, and when God became man, Emmanuel, in Christ... They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. God with us. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. In other words, Genesis 3 will be undone. Right? All the stuff that we wrestle with all the time, the stuff that hurts, it's going to be gone. Gone, gone. The curse will be reversed. Verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. My friend Mike at the end of this conference said, notice that it doesn't say, I will make all new things. 
It says, I will make all things new. It's going to be this world, but resurrected. Our bodies, th- these bodies, right? But resurrected and made like his body. Mike called it the consummation. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. I just, can you imagine? No more pain. What hurts right now? Right? If you're young, you don't know what I'm talking about. Everybody else knows exactly what I'm talking about. What hurts right now? It won't hurt. No more funerals. No more hospitals. No more bawling your eyes out. All of the tov, all of the goodness of creation, and none of the bad. And because of Jesus, it will not just be like it was. It'll be redeemed. It'll be restored. It'll be resurrected. It'll be refreshed. God will make all things new. What's the application of that? Live for and long for that day. Live for it now. Everything we've talked about this morning and so much more. Worshiping God for making all things good. Living out God's design and human sexuality, human dignity, human stewardship because of the image of God in humanity. Working for the Lord in His good creation. What Lori's going to do this week. Living for the Lord as His good creation. And also longing for that day to come when all will be restored. Longing for. That's why the Bible ends with this last prayer. Bring it! (laughs) Literally, it says, Come, Lord Jesus. Come to make all things new.